Welcome to the Beyond the Box Store podcast. This is your host, David Kaplan. In this episode, I interview Coach Butch Estes. He's currently the head men's basketball coach at Barry University. He's been coaching for over 45 years. Coach, how's it going? I'm doing great, David. Thanks for having me be part of all of this. Oh, my pleasure. Coach, you want to give yourself a, a brief introduction to our listeners? Well, I'll be glad to. Uh, of course, my name is Butch Estes, and, and um, I am a professional basketball coach, I guess you could say, after 45 years of doing this stuff. And uh, it's been a, a tremendous ride. Uh, I started back at uh, playing basketball at High Point Central High School in High Point, North Carolina. Uh, then went on to the University of North Carolina and played on the freshman team there and then uh, had had a cup of coffee on the varsity. But Coach Smith uh, just knew I probably wasn't going to be good enough to play at that level. So he asked me if I would help Coach Guthridge, uh, Bill Guthridge, with the freshman team. And, and I did. And that's sort of how my coaching career got started. Then I went to the Citadel for graduate school. And then I was an assistant coach for a number of years at um, – well, I started in East Carolina, then went to Rice University as an assistant and then became a head coach in the 80s at Presbyterian College and then went on to Furman. Um, I had about five years out of the business when I was doing television, sports, uh, uh, television with Fox Sports Net. I missed coaching a great deal, got back in in the early 2000s uh, at Guilford College in Greensboro. And then um, my wife and I moved to Miami and I started at Miami Day Community College, and uh, because of her career, we moved around a lot and had a couple other jobs, but I ended up at the University of Miami as an assistant, and now most recently have been at Barry University, starting my eighth year at Barry University, which is a Division II. It's a Catholic university in Miami, Florida, and um, it's been a real joy ride for us there. We've had a lot of success, so it's it's been a great career, a lot of fun, a lot of wonderful memories, and some wonderful players and coaches that I've worked with. Coach, it sounds like you have been there and done that. 45 years, uh, we should all be so lucky. Well, somebody once said, if I can make it to 50, which I certainly intend to, that uh, I've never Googled it, but there there are not many coaches that have coached for 50 years. And uh, uh, I'm still young at heart. I'm blessed to have good health, uh, good family. And so uh, I do look forward to coaching a number of more years. You know, talk about growing up in High Point and, and then playing on the freshman team at, at North Carolina. And, and I'm curious, did you play alongside Roy Williams? No, actually, Roy is just about a year or two younger than I am. Um, Roy came along uh, when, when I was helping with the varsity. I did stay with the varsity and traveled with them um, and did some things for Coach Smith. But Roy came along, played on the freshman team. His, his path was very similar to mine. Um, but he was a year or two younger. So he played on the freshman team. He did not play on the varsity, but he then he went on and, you know, got a job coaching up in the Asheville area, which was his hometown. And uh, from there, then Coach Smith eventually brought him back, I think mainly because I think he had Brad Doherty on his high school team, and that helped Roy get back. And Roy obviously took a tremendous advantage of the opportunity, and the rest is history. But Roy and I are close friends, but we are just a year or two apart. You know, Coach Smith brings you on to be a student assistant. Like you said, you had a cup of coffee on the varsity team. 
but you were a part of some great Tar Heel teams. They made Final Four appearances. Yeah. You had guys like George Carl, yeah. Bobby Jones, Mitch Kupchak, Charlie Scott. Yeah. What do you remember about being a student assistant, and what was it like to serve under a legend like Dean Smith? Well, you know, there was a disappointment of not being able to fulfill your college playing career uh, as you would have, you know, as, we, as I dreamed. But at the same time, um, when reality hit, um, I realized the blessing that I had. I was in a great program. Um, it certainly inspired me to want to be a college coach, if no other reason, the lifestyle. Um, you know, flying around on airplanes and eating nice restaurants and, and, and just having the thrill of competition. So, uh, and I realized that, you know, I didn't realize, I don't think at the time that Coach Smith was quite the legend that I now know he is, but, but I did know he was a great coach. And so, you know, as a player, you concentrate on what you need to do to get better. And, but once I quit playing and kind of moved over to the coaching side, then I was able to start learning about the system, um, how you teach the systems, um, you know, how do you prepare for games and just all the things that really go into coaching. And, and I guess it was like an internship for me. And uh, yes, and you're right. I mean, I, I, I think, in my opinion, I, I learned from the greatest coaches ever coached this game. And when I say that, I mean, he, he knew the game, but he was a very, very smart uh, gentleman. He was a, a great teacher. And um, I'm just so into this day, 45 years later, um, we still do many, many, many things that we do in our system are what I brought with me from North Carolina. You know, after you graduate with a degree in PE from uh, North Carolina, you're hired as a graduate assistant at the Citadel. Talk about how you got on staff there and how many coaches did you write letters to trying to become a graduate assistant? Well, th that's an interesting question. And um, I, I do, I have a house in Charleston, South Carolina, um, and, and we maintain a residence there. And um, I went, I went, um, what happened was Coach Smith um, called me in. I was working camp and he said, uh, I got a call from the guys at the Citadel and they want one of our guys to come down there and be a grad assistant. Are you interested? And I, and honestly, at that, at that moment, I didn't realize it was a military school. <laughs> but anyway, um, I said, yes, I'm very interested. And I came down to visit and I met with the head coach at that time was George Hill. But more notably, the assistant uh, was Les Robinson. And Les, as an assistant, sort of took the grad assistant under his wing and, um, and helped me through those two years. So I did my master's at the Citadel. I didn't have any military obligations. I went to school at night. But, um, you know, at that time we had freshman teams. And I was able to coach the freshman team. So all the kids came in on scholarship, much like we did at North Carolina at, back in those days. No matter how good you were, you were on the freshman team, even though you're on full scholarship. And then you went to the varsity as a sophomore. So anyway, came down and, and began a lifetime relationship with Les Robinson. In fact, my house in Charleston is only a couple blocks away from where Les is retired. And we see each other three or four times a week. So, um, I've maintained that relationship and it was just great. It was giving me hands-on coaching experience where I had my own team and we pulled off a couple of big upsets and, and I just knew that I was, uh, you know, this was no question what I wanted to do the rest of my life. You know, East Carolina hires you after you finish up your masters and you served under two head coaches during your four years in Greenville. What were your responsibilities and what was the SOCON like back then? 
Well, it was it was really good. Um, you know, I went there as a full time assistant, but back in those days, you had to teach a little bit. So I actually taught some physical education courses as part of my responsibility. Um, I did go to work for Tom Quinn, a very successful coach who actually has a high point uh, university background um, later at Newberry College, but was a head coach at East Carolina. Actually, Coach Quinn had tried to recruit me in high school and then tried to recruit me as a grad assistant. And then I, I, I told him no both times. But the third time he came back and offered me a full time job, I, I couldn't resist. So um, it was a wonderful. I loved East Carolina. I still to this day uh, think that's the, one of the coolest places uh, as far as a college town's concerned. And, and I was young and, and, and really involved in recruiting. And then Coach Quinn decided to hang it up and our other assistant got the head job. And we did really well. We actually had the best record in the school's history uh, under Dave Patton, who was there for three years and then walked in the office one day and said, Butch, I'm going to resign. I'm, I don't want to be a college coach anymore. So this was my fourth year at East Carolina. And uh, obviously, as I mentioned, I'm young. And so I immediately went down to the, to the AD's office and told him I was a candidate. I'd like to be considered for the head coaching job, not realizing that, you know, I had no experience. <laughs> I was way too young for that job. And long story short, it didn't happen. And um, and then my next move was to Rice University, which Mike Schuler, uh, who had been at the University of Virginia as an assistant under Terry Holland and at VMI as a head coach, uh, had taken the Rice job, and he called me and said, would I consider coming to Rice being his assistant? And, uh, again, a chance to work for Mike, who later went on and coached three, was head coach three NBA teams. Um, I didn't even hesitate. I went straight to Rice, and that's when I really recruited. Uh, there I was pretty much in charge of it by myself, and we recruited nationally. I remember my first recruiting class, we signed seven young men, um, I can't remember all the different places, but two from Maryland, one from Chicago, one from L.A., one from Louisiana, and two from Texas. So you can see I was all over the country uh, recruiting and flying and, and meeting people and building networks. And um, that, that was just a, a great experience, uh, you know, finishing up at Rice there. Coach, before you got to Rice, you know, I'm curious, you were on staff during uh, one of the appearances in the NCIT. It's only lasted for two years, but what do you remember about that tournament? Well, uh, yeah, I do remember it. Uh, you know, honestly, at the moment, I can't remember who we played, but I remember it was in Louisville. Uh, we Again, that was capping the best season in East Carolina's basketball history at that time, and I still think that record of most wins might still hold. Um and we were invited to Louisville. We, uh, it was kind of like an NIT situation. It was a new NIT. And, you know, for the life of me, I can't remember who we played. Um, but it was, it was to get to postseason back in those days, especially coming out of the Southern Conference, um, you, you know, was, was, was a big accomplishment. And, uh, and, and that's when Dave Patton was there. We had an awfully good team when Dave was there. And, um, and when, and, you know, again, the Southern Conference, you asked me who was good in the Southern Conference back in those days. Furman was really good. Uh, that's when Joe Williams was there and had just tremendous teams, nationally ranked teams that beat Indiana, went to the NCAA tournament, had two or three pros, and they sort of dominated the league back in, in that time I was at East Carolina. Okay. You know, you talk about uh, landing at Rice. What was it like working under – 
Mike Schuler and you know how did that come about? And, and then I, I'm also aware you guys coached against uh, the late Eddie Sutton. What do you remember about those? <laughs> oh man, you're going way back. Well, Coach Schuler was a, a, a very classy individual who who you know had well. You, anytime you're at the University of Virginia, no matter what your capacity is, you know you got that's a good program and. We had just built a relationship. He saw my JV team play um, one night and was very impressed with it and remembered that. And then when he had the opening, he called me and thought that I would make a good young assistant. And um, and the thing I like about Coach Childer, he gave me a lot of responsibilities. Now, he was hard to work for. He was very demanding as far as commitment and time. And, you know, so many young coaches want to get in the business and, you know, they, they, they like – wearing the shirt around they like telling everybody they're a college coach and but 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 they don't understand you know if you really want to be a coach and you want to be a successful coach that the time commitment that you have to put in uh it's seven days a week it's never stops uh you could be interrupted anytime any day any time of the year uh of course a lot of people that might be listening to the, the podcast would think that coaching is you know from october to march and uh, my goodness, we do so much scheduling and recruiting and camps and public relations and academics and summer school and all the things that go on year round. So it's a it's a real commitment. And I think when I was at Rice under Coach Schuler, that's where I learned, OK, now you really have to be focused and you really have to put a lot of time into this thing. And and that's always served me well, you know, because I've always um, I love what I do. So therefore, I don't mind going to work and I don't mind putting in a lot of hours. Um, so it's it's been it's been a joy ride for me. You know, I read that you recruited Ricky Pierce. <laughs> Obviously, he ends up playing at Rice. Uh, but when you were recruiting him, what did you guys see in him that other teams missed on? Well, that's an interesting story, and a lot of your listeners, they'll have to Google R- R- Ricky Pierce. He he was about probably 14 years in NBA, and um, we knew of Ricky. He was a well-established uh, superstar, and the long story short, uh, he came out of the Dallas area, and, of course, we were in Houston, and uh, he went to – he signed with Washington State, uh, with a guy named George Raveling, and um, who later became famous with Nike and everything. George was a head coach of Washington State, but he didn't qualify, so they put him in. They put him in a junior college out in Washington, and it was a remote area. And uh, be honest with you, Ricky was miserable coming from Dallas and going to junior college in a very uh, rural area in the state of Washington. Um, he became very disenchanted. So I knew the athletic director at his high school and he called me and he said, would you be interested in Ricky? If you want him, I'll get him for you. And I thought, wow, yes. I mean, it's not a matter of, you know, how did we discover him? He was already discovered. It was, could we get him? And, um, and we were able to get him in for a visit. And I remember Coach Schuler because it was great, really laying the law down to him, you know, like, uh, Ricky, if you come here, you'll do this, and you'll do this, and you'll do this, and you'll do this. And I'm sitting back there in the back going, oh, Coach, slow down a little bit here now. <laughs> You're going to scare this guy off. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but anyway, Ricky came, and he was a marginal student. And if you know anything about Rice or your listeners know anything about Rice, Rice University is one of the elite academic schools in the country. It's just right up there with the Ivy League schools and Stanford and Northwestern. I mean, it's 
it's it's a top flight academic school and here we are bringing in a marginal young man who could really play and but, but all the credit goes to ricky i mean he did it he got his degree at one of the toughest schools with you know with a poor background academically and then he went on to marry one of the singers in fifth dimension and make millions of dollars and you talk about a great story uh, he, he's just a, a super success story and kind of why uh, not that all stories are like that, but, you know, those of us who are in coaching for a long time are not in it just for winning and losing. We're in it to help young people, you know, get through a time in their lives, a period in their lives when they're 18 to 23 or 24, whatever, you know, help mold them into young, successful people that can be good citizens and productive in life. And and, and occasionally you get one of those guys that can do it basketball wise, but uh, most of them don't do it in basketball. They do it in other things. How great was it to see him finish his oh. degree? I think he earned it in yeah, 2012. It was, I, I, I mean, it was, you know, I just can't give him enough credit. I mean, and, uh, you know, you know and, and there are people in life that sometimes may not have the background, but they understand the important things. And he was, he was one of those guys. He had, he had the right, you know, uh, characteristics to, to pursue and be successful. And, you know, you can't, you can't save everybody. Uh, a lot of guys, I coached junior college for a number of years and really enjoyed it and have tremendous relationships with those young men that I coached in junior college. Uh, and, and I enjoyed that level because, you know, those guys come to junior college because they're looking to kind of get their train back on the track. Most of them are pretty talented, but something's happened to them along the way and you help them get it, get it back on and they go on to be successful. It's so rewarding. And, uh, and Ricky is that, even though he only spent one year in junior college, he, he, he was that kind of guy. He, he saw the light and was able to, to pursue it and be successful. And for the most cases, that's what happens with junior college kids. Um, you can't save every one of them. There are some that just don't get it and don't make it. And you have to accept that, but you certainly help way more than you don't. You know, you talked about, you know, you helped or you, you were coaching a freshman team, but Presbyterian College, they offer you your first uh, college, you know, head coaching opportunity, and you spent five yep. years there. What was the interview process like, and what was your first month on the job looking like? Well, um, the interview process, I think that was more me. I really wanted the job. Uh, that was kind of returning home from Houston. Um, back into the Carolinas, which was my home. And um, I remember spending a lot of time trying to connect with people who knew, um, you know, the staff or the selection committee there. Uh, but it was it was mainly through the athletic director and the president. There wasn't a, a large uh, selection committee on, on that particular instance. And so you met with the AD and you met with the um, the president and um, I had a college uh, teammate named uh, Dave Chadwick, who was a Presbyterian minister, and his dad was a minister, and he knew a lot of people there at Presbyterian. Um, I had another friend, a neighbor, a young man that I played high school basketball with and still very close to today, a guy named Pat Meiske in High Point, North Carolina. And Pat's dad had graduated from PC and was a big contributor. So he he connected uh, Dave's uh Pat's dad did, and then Dave's dad did, and then Les Robinson, who I've referred to a couple of times. Les, um, you know, was very well respected, and he made a call for me, and 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 all those things together just kind of worked. And uh, 
I really love my time at Presbyterian. Uh, we had great teams and uh, it was a fun time. You know, we uh, ate in the cafeteria every day at lunch and got in with all the students. And I had to teach a course there, which, uh, you know, that mostly as you get on up in the level, you, you don't teach so much, but sometimes at the lower levels you teach and that gives you a chance to connect with students and faculty. And, um, you know, I don't teach at Barry University where I'm coaching presently, so I don't really have much interaction with the faculty at all. And I miss that because I enjoyed it at Presbyterian, but it was a great experience. You know, you led the Blue Hose to a, a 92 wins, 63 losses in five years. You guys won 20-plus games three times. You know, it seems like PC has always been a tough place to have su- sustained success. Why well, I, th- I think, number one, they moved up to Division One. When we were there, we were in AI. And it, now we were in a really good league. USC Spartanburg was in that league. They won the national championship twice. College of Charleston was in that league. They won the national championship. It was about as good a league as you could ever want to be in. Um, but but it was NAI. And then, of course, they moved up. Now, my old assistant, who um, was with me at Presbyterian and went on with me to Furman, came back and coached there for 25 years and had a lot of success. But then when he's the one that took them, and I'm talking about Greg Niver, and Greg took them from Division Two or NAI to Division One, and it was tough. Um, you know, they didn't have quite the financial means, the location of the school, the size of the facility. Uh, none of it really matched Division One. Now, they really tried to they tried to hang in there and they've done a you know competitive job of it. But, yeah, it's been tough since then. So, you know, it, it's like a lot of people talk to us at Barry about going Division One. And we don't you know, we're, we're really good in Division Two. Now, if we went Division One, my record may not be so good either. <laughs> so. It all depends on your resources versus your competition. No question. Uh, you know, after Presbyterian, Furman hires you, and you go on to spend nine years there from 85 to 94. How different was the SOCON from when you were at East Well, it had changed. Um, it, it's really interesting about any young coaches are listening broadcast. I think my AD at Presbyterian – coached the AD at Furman and in football. And so when the job came open, um, Dick Sheridan, who was the AD at Furman, called my AD, Callie Galt at Presbyterian, and inquired about me, and it was a good match. And because of their relationship being so strong, he put a lot of credence in what Coach Galt told him about me and then ultimately hired me. So the point is, is a lot of times not what you know, but who you know and who knows who. But was very fortunate to get that job. I'll tell you another interesting side note. Another person that interviewed for that job when I did was Roy Williams. He was still an assistant in North Carolina. And and the difference probably between me and Roy at that time was Roy was in there asking, well, can you do this? Or will you do this? And I need this and I need that. And when I interviewed, I just went in there and I said, I would be glad to take the job. No matter what they get, I'll take the job. So <laughs> They, they liked that more than they did all these demands that Roy had at that time. And so uh, anyway, got the job and the Southern Conference had changed um, from from Furman, who had had all that success. They had really geared back and, you know, put more emphasis on making sure their student athlete, would, you know, academically fit the, the mold of the Furman student. And, and uh, the conference had kind of switched to two powerful teams at that time were Marshall and then Chattanooga, UT Chattanooga. And Davidson and I were, you know, we were coming in and 
Davidson had been in, but we, we came in and we had some success, won the conference. But Davidson was really beginning to make a move. They built a new arena. They, they put a total commitment into men's basketball. And we weren't moving quite as quick at Furman as they were. And they were considered our, our big rival. And, um, and they brought Bob McKillop in. And, and Bob was learning. And, and, boy, has he learned. I mean, he's done an unbelievable job at Davidson uh, and still coaching there. But, but I got concerned uh, about – the commitment that we and the amount of resources that I mentioned earlier, we were putting in at Furman as compared to some other people in the league, and particularly Davidson, who was considered our big rival. And so along the line, I had a TV show and, and it was pretty successful. And then they, they called me one day from down in Atlanta and said, if you ever want to do television, we'd be very interested in talking to you. And so I, uh, I said, well, that's interesting. Let's talk. And we did, and they made me an offer, and then I ended up parting ways with Furman and going into TV for five years. But we, I loved my time at Furman, and, boy, we, we were we – were, it was a lot of fun. We had a lot of great players and still stayed very close. I've got two from that team there in the Furman Hall of Fame. And, um, and so really proud of all those guys that played for us and participated in our success at Furman. You know, you're a first-time Division One head coach. Who do you hire on your staff, and how many teams are trying to schedule you in those first couple of years? <laughs> well, yeah, that's uh, – well, first of all, the answer to the first question, who do you hire? I think, you know, you, you, you try to hire people that fit. Um, the loyalty, which is a, a thing that I learned at North Carolina, is, is paramount. Um, you, you need to associate yourself with – with qualified people who who understand the value of loyalty. And um, so, you know, I was looking for a combination. I've always felt like when you go into a situation, if you can hire someone who's been there um, that, that would be able to help you get uh, acclimated to the new school that you're coming into, you know, they know the professors, they know, you know, they know where the bathrooms are, they know where the water fountains are. <laughs> Uh, so I like hiring a guy that's been there if that's possible. I also certainly want to reward the guys that had been with me who had helped us have our success because they know me and they know our system and that brings that portion of it. And then, you, you know, you want to balance, you want you know, diversity is so important. And uh, we talk about it now, like, like, you know, but the, those that were, in the know many years ago realized the importance of having a diverse staff. And I've always tried to do that. Uh, we're not to Miami yet, but when I went to Miami, I thought it was imperative that we have a Spanish speaking person, someone with that type of background on our staff. And we did, and we still do. And um, you, you, you know, you want to represent the minorities because our teams are diverse and they represent every walk of life. So we want our staff to do that too. But that was the um, – and then scheduling, yeah, when you first go into a program that's not winning, and that's sort of been where I've my, – my pattern, um, yeah, you get a lot of calls about games. <laughs> and uh, then as you get better, you don't get quite as many calls. And as you get better, scheduling becomes a real challenge. So, yeah, that's an interesting question. Now, did Roy go cheap on you with the uh... – um, with no, not really. Not really. Um, that was a little bit of a friendship thing that uh, he agreed uh, to come speak at one of our banquets and, and, and do some fundraisers for me. And uh, 
spend the day with me, play golf, and spoke that night. And he said, now, in exchange, I want you to come to Kansas to play a game. And I said, okay, no problem. Give me some money, and I'll come. And um, one of the funny stories that I tell is we were, we were out there in Kansas at the arena, Fog Allen, and they were just beating the, the, the ever-living you-know-what out of us. They were killing us. And we're probably about four or five minutes left in the game. Somebody taps me on the shoulder. I'm sitting on the bench and I get a tap on the shoulder and I turn around like, I mean, how did somebody get, what's this? And it's one of Roy's managers. And Roy had sent him down to me to say, coach, coach Williams sent me down here and wants to know if there's any particular defense you want him to play. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I'm not telling him to run a, th- a three man uh, defense. I said, don't put three guys out there. So maybe we, with five against three, we'd have a chance to score. And um, so we had a good laugh about that. But, uh, yeah, that was a, that was a, was a great trip for our guys. We had a dog island in play, even though we didn't fare too well as far as the score was concerned. You know, you did have wins over, you know, Wake Forest and Winston-Salem. Then you beat Villanova in overtime at home. What do you oh, remember man. about those? Well, lines? they were great. I'll add East Tennessee State, uh, which was a conference win back when they were in the top ten of the country. We beat them at home in a in a head-to-head competition in conference. But the the Wake Forest, they're both just very special. Um, uh, Coach Massimino had come from uh, down to speak at that same another one of those fundraisers. I had invited him down, and we were playing golf, and he was smoking a cigar and having a drink, and. I said, Coach, you know, you got a player on your team from South Carolina. Um, have you thought about ever coming back down here and playing and bringing him home? And he he thought, he said, well, that's a good idea. He said, call my assistant and schedule us a game. So knowing me, that was Friday on Monday morning. I called and we scheduled a game and it was at our place and we beat them. And then after the game, uh, Coach Massimino came up to me and said, Butch, when are you coming back to our place? And I said, Coach, we're not. He said, what do you mean you're not? How could that possibly be? What do we, we don't come down here and play one game. And, um, and but, but I said, Coach, you did, and that's what you scheduled. <laughs> so he was very upset about that. But we went on to have a great relationship for a number of years. And obviously that was a, a, a tremendous win as they were just coming off the national championship, you know, in the 80s, 85, 86. And, and um, three of the kids on his team were still starters. Um, from that national championship team. So that was a great win. But the one at Wake Forest, only because I'm from High Point, a lot of my old high school teammates were back. They had gotten together for a big party after the game. And, of course, I thought this is going to be miserable because we got no chance to win and and I got to go to this party. But it turned out to be maybe the best party I've ever been to in my life because we did win. And, and, and to be able to go home and do that in front of all the home folks was uh, something I still remember today. You know, your team's won 135 games, five winning seasons in those nine years. You guys had the SOCON regular season championship one of those years. Looking back on it, is there anything you would have done differently or that stick out in your mind that you learned and took with you to future Well, I think you learn at every stop, no matter how young or old you are. And and I I guess in retrospect, I – I let things get to me that probably were in the big picture weren't as important as I thought they were at that time. And it, it, you know, it led to some, some adversarial relationships within, within the school. And um, 
And that's why I say when we parted ways, because there's a pretty mutual parting. Um, you know, I, I wish, I guess, going back, I learned that, you know, your relationships within your universities are are really important. And I, I think a lot of coaches still to this day, I've heard about, I hear about them, but, you know, they'll go in and they just, if things don't go the way they want, then they get very upset. And and they may say things or do things to people within the universities that, that may not be in retrospect as smart as you think they are. So I, I kind of learned that lesson, um, you, you know, and, and so, you know, and then the five years out of coaching when I was in television gave me a chance to, kind of recharge my battery and, and, and visit obviously through television, you got out and saw a lot of practices and you got to interact with a lot of other coaches and see how other people did things. And I, I continually grew during that whole period. And I think when I went back, particularly when I came to Miami in 2003, I think I was a better, and, and then after coaching junior college for three years, that, that was, to me, I, I coached a different type kid in junior college. I had been mostly upper middle-class type kids, great academic students. Now all of a sudden I'm at a junior college and I'm coaching kids that don't have grades, many from the inner city, many with different culture, obviously a different culture than I grew up in. And boy, did I grow as a coach. Uh, I wasn't sure I could coach those kids. And then when it was all said and done, it was, I was able to do it. And, and, and it meant more to me than probably any, any other level I've ever coached at. Uh, mainly because, as I mentioned earlier, the, the, the opportunity to help young people that need help. They're at a point in their lives where they really need help and you're there to help them. And I think I really grew as a coach uh, from all my experiences, both at Presbyterian Furman and, and even, you know, going back to when I was an assistant, you know, things that I saw coaches do that were good and things that I saw coaches do that weren't good. And you try to learn from all of them. Wow, I really, I love that, Coach. That's great stuff. You know, you touched on doing the, the TV analyst work. How much prep work did you do? Yeah. You said, you know, you yes. went to practices, and, and obviously, you know, you, you had a good beat on the, uh, you know, on the street, as they say. But, you know, t- talk about how you were able to – reconnect with coaches and well really it was it was a, 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 a new time a new profession and boy did i have a lot to learn um yeah preparation it's funny when when, when I, obviously i started out with at that time it was sports south in atlanta and it was owned by ted turner but very shortly after i took the job um rupert murdoch the fox sports network people came in and bought out sports south and bought all these regional um, sports channels. And now you have, as you well know, you know, you have Fox Sports South, you have Fox Sports Florida, you have Fox Sports Northwest. You know, he went around and bought all the regional TV stations and we became a national product. But um, it was, it was it's so many, so many different stories there. Um, I, because I, I was a low level, I had to do my own preparation. Now, the guys at ESPN and even the guys that do all the big national stuff, they have interns that, when you do a game, they present you a book with both teams, and it's got every detail you could ever want about the individuals, about their statistics, about the team, the history of the coaches, the history of the kids. All that research is done for you, and they just send it to you. Like if you were going to do a game on Saturday, you'd probably get that book on Monday, and it would be sent to you in the mail. Because the nice thing about TV, you can live anywhere you want to live as long as you're close to an airport. And I chose to live in Greenville for a while and then obviously felt – 
I, I saw the advantages of going to Atlanta, so I moved to Atlanta uh, at the latter part of that five years. But anyway, um, but I had to do all that research on my own. I didn't have the benefit. I wasn't the beneficiary of having interns and they could do all that research for me. So it was important. And then where I made my first mistake among many was I do all this research and then I felt like I had to get it in, in the broadcast. And so I forced things into the broadcast and I learned very quickly that that was not appropriate. Um, if you ever listen to an analyst and he's a good one, when a play happens, whatever the analyst has to say, he needs to say it before the ball gets the half court coming the other way. <laughs> and so less is more in television. And you, you do see some color analysts who will just talk, 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 uh, Dick Vitale being one, but he's a star, so he can do it. But generally they teach you from the time the ball goes through the basket till it gets to half court going the other way, that's your time to say whatever comment you need to say. So less is definitely more. And um, it was fun. I enjoyed it. I, got, I stayed in the game. I met coaches. I got to travel. But here's what I missed. I missed the excitement and the competition. I missed the, the feeling of winning and even losing. And what I missed the most was the camaraderie of the coaches and the team. Because in television, if you have a game, and I did some with some pretty big play-by-play -play guys, but you you fly in on your own. You usually meet your play-by-play -play guy the night before. You might have dinner. You talk about the game. You go to practices. You see the coaches. And when the game's over, you fly out. So you're by yourself um, most of the time. You have a wonderful relationship with your play-by-play -play guy, but it varies game to game. And you just, you know, and there's no thrill of winning or losing. Now, there is a thrill of, of having a good broadcast. And then there's also the bad feeling of having a bad broadcast, which does happen. Uh, after things are over, you go back and look and listen. And, oh, my goodness, did I, did I mess that up? And um, But it was, it was fun. But I just missed coaching. And then my wife and my father-in-law really encouraged me to get back in and my two sons. And so I decided to give it a shot and. Dave Odom came along and called me and said, if you want to get back in coaching, I'm a, I'm a graduate of Guilford College, and I can get you that job if you want it. And I said, yeah, I want it. So that's how I got back to Guilford. Okay. Yeah, you know, you're hired at Guilford. Talk about your first experience of the non -scholarship. Toughest job I've ever had. Um, first of all, you know, that when, back when I was growing up, Guilford was NAIA and a powerhouse. I mean, literally three guys went on to play in the NBA. I mean, they were they were unbelievable. But they had dropped down to Division Three. But it was close to my hometown. It was a chance to get back in coaching. Um, I embraced it. Uh, but boy, did I get educated. You're in a a a uh, business uh, without scholarships that is a scholarship business, and that's the hardest I believe I've ever had to work. And it wasn't instant success. There were so many good teams and so many good coaches in that league. Tony Shaver, who later went to William and Mary and had a lot of success, was at uh, Hampton Sydney. Mike Rhodes was at uh, Randolph Macon. He's now the head coach at VCU, and on and on and on. I mean, that whole league was full of high-level coaches, even at Division Three level. So we finally had, you know, we finally broke through, and then then I had the my wife took a job in Miami, and we had to come to Florida, but the gentleman that followed me at Guilford, boy, did, did, has he done a great job. He's gone on in Division Three and taken them all the way to the National Championship game. So uh, I think we built a foundation there, but we didn't stay long enough to really see it through. So it was hard. <laughs> it was hard. 
you know, I'm curious for back then, what was the budget for the coaching staff? I mean, was it part-time assistants, graduates? Right. We had, um, you had know, obviously I was full-time with benefits and everything. And it was uh, Division three in, 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 in that conference uh, is, is really strong. I mean, it's it's a really good basketball. And Guilford supported the program. So I had a full-time assistant. And then I had to get two volunteer assistants. But we had an SID. We had trainers. We didn't have a strength and conditioning coach. Um, but we had a budget for equipment and, um, you know, it was a good, it, for, for small college basketball, it was, it was everything you could, you could want, you know, really. I think. Now the, the current yeah. North Carolina Wesleyan AD, uh, Aaron Denton, he was a student assistant Correct. and a player for you at Guilford. Did you have any idea? No, no, I didn't. He's not my only AD, but, but yeah, he, uh, but I did know that. I loved Aaron, and I thought, you know, I did, he was a really talented person who had his, you know, just had his ducks in a row. Uh, very organized, very uh, career oriented, um, knew what he wanted to do. A man of strong faith. Um, just so whatever he did, you know, he started out in coaching, had success, and then migrated into the administration part of it, and has continued. You know, built a program at uh, at the junior college in Pinehurst, and won the national championship. And now he's at North Carolina Wesleyan, and that's a tremendous uh, D3 program that's uh, that's been successful for a number of years. So, no, I'm not surprised at all. Now you talk about moving down to Miami. Uh, you become the head coach at Miami-Dade Community College. You guys go 69 and 22 overall. What was it wow. like? Wow, talent. Year Juco basketball? So much talent. And, you know, could you, we were, my assistant and I just yesterday were talking about how, you know, we had to, we had to do a lot of work off the court to make sure they were in class, to make sure they were doing what they were supposed to do. They were behaving themselves, they were, you know, in the dorms and all that stuff. But the easy part was when you came to game time, they were so talented that they were going to win. You just had to get them to the court and make sure they were doing what they were supposed to do. So, it was an adjustment, but uh, Miami-Dade had a national name, beautiful facility, built us beautiful offices, built us a brand-new locker room, and and we had a national name, so recruiting was pretty easy. Uh, we would go after the top players in the country, and this is true at every junior college job I've had. We'd go after the top players in the country. I mean, literally, the elite players that just didn't have grades. And, um, and, and so we enjoyed it. I mean, you'd walk in a gym and for those who were looking for junior colleges, you know, it was an easy sell, you know, chance to come to Miami, beautiful weather, the beaches, um, you know, we were successful. We had nice facilities. We had a good reputation. Um, it just all was really good, really good. But you had to turn over every two so you had to work at it constantly. Did you have mostly non-qualifiers or the, the four-year, you know, four-two-four kids, or were you able to – Well, we, we got a lot of high school, high school players. players. We just did – that. just didn't have the grades. Now it's a little, it's a little bit uh, murky and gray because of the prep schools. You know, they weren't quite as – there were a few well-established prep schools, but not near as many as there are now. And they, they become a, a – competitor of junior colleges, but I'm still a big believer because many of these prep schools are not accredited. They don't house the kids properly. And, you know, we, we were fully, anytime I was in junior college, we were fully accredited, you know, and took great care of the kids had full scholarships. So we, we did take some transfers. Absolutely. Um, 
but but we also did it with high school kids. We just targeted the top guys. And man, when I when I later went on to Palm Beach State, I remember that because it was later. But we the starting center at Oregon played for us. The starting center at West Virginia played for us. The starting point guard at Arizona State played for us. Uh, these were all kids that we had that went on to high level and started. They were on really good teams. And so uh, it was a lot of fun. And you certainly kept great contacts with all the, uh, you know, uh, four-year colleges because they were recruiting your kids. And um, so that was a chance for me to reestablish a lot of relationships. You know, you talked about moving to Florida, you know, in part because of your wife's job. And obviously you, you would do that again later on. Uh you know, talk about that decision. You know, I'm sure it's not easy to leave your comfort zone and move down to Florida. Um, well, talk uh, about kind of that we are both professionals and my wife is, a, she's a superstar. I'm going to brag on her in the TV business. She's not on the air. She's behind the scenes, but she's been sought after. And, um, and it's, it's really dictated a lot of what we've done. And, and I, I don't know, I've looked at it like I've had a great career and she was starting out in her career and I wanted her to have, you know, her to be fulfilled. And so the moves are pretty easy for me. I mean, I just decided as much as I love Guilford, you know, the chance to, to move to Florida and see what I could do. And, and it turned out great. And then the, 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 the real tough move was the one in 2006 when I was at the University of Miami in the ACC. And uh, she had this unbelievable offer in, my, in Seattle, Washington. And we're East Coast people, and I'd been to Seattle a couple of times, but I'm like, what? We're going to want to look to go to Seattle, but we went out to visit. We loved it. I just felt like for me in my career where I was at that time, it was a, it was a time where if we're going to ever do something like this, let's do it. So we did, and I was lucky enough to get on with CLU for a year, and and then that, that's a whole other story. We were really good, and the head coach left and went to California at a Division One job, and and uh, Cal Poly and wanted me to go with him, but I, he couldn't pay me enough money and I couldn't afford to go because Tanya was doing so well with her TV job. So I ended up in junior college there and, and had success and then came back here junior college and then came to Barry. But it's been a it's been a, a roller coaster ride. But, you know, with my wife's success in tele television, a lot of moves have been dictated by her. And um, and that's good. I have no regrets in that area. Frank Hayes hires you to be an assistant coach at the University of Miami uh, for a season. Talk about the ACC. And <laughs> Not easy. Um, it was great. I, you know, it's funny, though. When I, the ACC is, except for being on TV, is a lot like – I don't feel a whole lot different at Barry than I did when I was at Miami in terms of the – you know, except for being on TV. Uh, the practices were the same. The meetings were the same. The kids were the same. I even remember when I first went back to the ACC and how disappointed I was in the fundamentals that the players at that level had. You know, if you know anything about basketball, the jump stops, the pivots, the use of both hands, the the basketball. I mean, now these guys were talented, but not necessarily schooled in fundamentals. And um, and and I've sensed that at a lot of places, and you can still see it if you watch games every night. And you really know the game; you'll see a lot of fundamental mistakes made by high-level players. But uh, it was a great year. Again, it was a chance for me to go back to where I grew up, and and I really planned to stay there. You know, with Frank and at the ACC as an assistant, I was very happy. Um, but 
Tanya had to offer in Seattle and that's when it got really tough for us to make a decision because, you know, we we're both making good money, but uh, I just felt like for her, it was the right thing to do. So we did it. And, and then, you know, my career has put me back. I had to go junior college one more time, but I got back to Barry and Barry has been all practical purposes, the best place I've ever been in my life as far as coaching is concerned. You know, Al Hairston adds you to his coaching staff at Seattle University. Talk about well, it was good, uh, but we got great. And I didn't have a lot to do with that. Coach really, really was responsible for that. And that's why he got the offer to go on to, to a higher level. And um, But I really enjoyed my time in Seattle. And I got really close to the players. And um, it was extremely competitive. Um, my only disappointment was I'd never been to Alaska. And they were in our league. And um, and so when we went up there to play, coach sent me on a recruiting trip and I didn't get I still to this day have not been to Alaska. I didn't get to go with the team when we played up there. And that was my biggest disappointment in Seattle U. But a uh, great time there and uh, getting to know people in Northwest and experiencing West Coast living was I wouldn't trade it for the world. Wonderful three years. You know, you had the itch to become a head coach again, and you accept the job at Shoreline College. In your second season, you led them to the conference championship and advanced wow. to the national Well, tournament. it was a tough Talk situation. I was looking just for something to do to stay in coaching. And uh, the, the AD at Shoreline was from the East Coast and knew me. And so when I went in to talk to him, he, he gave me the job within five minutes. And it was a tough situation. They had never won. Um, we did a really good job of keeping tradition alive that first year. I think we went six and 19. Um, we were not very good, but we really hit the recruiting trail. We, uh, we hit the jackpot on a couple kids and we went from last to first. And um, it was tremendous. And, and still, you know, anytime you have these, especially these championship teams, you, your relationships seem to last longer. <laughs> And so, obviously, that's a unique group of guys. Any team that wins championship has some unique uh, people involved in it who have a lot of characteristics that are pretty successful. So, um, I've stayed in touch with those guys. And then the, the other story about uh, I may have done something nobody else has ever done. The very next year, I came back to the East Coast, to Palm Beach State, and they were dead last. And in my first year, we won the championship. So in back-to-back -back years, I took a team from last place to first place at two different programs. And I don't – you have to be two different programs in order to do that. But, but that's something I'm very proud of, that we were able to go in and get the kids that were there. One was recruiting. The other one was just turning around the kids that were there and recruiting. We did – at Palm Beach State, we were able to go sign a couple pretty good players before we started the first year. But – Well, there's definitely a reason you've won so many Coach of the Year awards. Doing that twice is remarkable, and yeah, you know, to do I it. I thought about that. Yes, the, that's true. The West too. Coast and then on the East. Coast. Yeah, it's been fun, and I, I've always preached of the the Coach of the Year awards. But as you well know, I mean, those are you know, one year I got it uh, when I was at Guilford, and my father was sick, my mom was sick, and I had to go from Greensboro to High Point every single day to take care of them, um, either get them food or get him to the doctor. And then my father passed away. It was a horrible year personally. And I was, it was all I could do to get to practice every day. 
And when I arrived, my whistle was there. My practice plan was there. The assistants had done the job. A guy named Brian Jutsky, who stands out, who lives in Greensboro now. Um, I mean, they had me ready. And, and we end up having a good year. And I get coach of the year. And I'm like, no, this goes 100% the assistant coaches. <laughs> I didn't do anything except show up. And, and I mean that sincerely. So it, it is. It's the players. It's the coaches. Uh, you know, and it's putting yourself in the right place at the right time, I guess. When you're at Palm Beach State, you know, the team goes 80 and 14 in your three seasons. You know, talk about, and you've touched on the recruiting. Road, how were you able to make recruiting? Just a great time? staff who, who had connections and, 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 and I, you know, my connections through the 30 years of coaching. And, and, you know, this business is so much about not what you know, but who you know it, in terms of getting jobs, but it's also very important recruiting. And um, we were able to use all those connections and bring in some really talented players. And uh, and we were really good. Um, the coach at Wake Forest now, Steve Forbes and I, Steve, and then Brad Underwood, who's at uh, at uh, Illinois. He was at Daytona, and uh, and Coach Forbes was at Northwest Florida. And you know we would play each other twice a year, and we'd split every time. Uh, and those guys are obviously great coaches. Once Illinois, <laughs> once at Wake Forest. And, just wait and see what the job Steve Forbes does at Wake Forest. He's going to – he'll turn that thing around in no time. Um, he's just tremendous. But uh, we were going against good players and good coaches, and we were still successful. Um, but, uh, again, and I love my time at Palm Beach State. It was uh, uh, for the very reasons I spoke of earlier when I was at Miami Day and the other places. I'm curious, you know, just being in the business – and having all the relationships that you've had over the years, who are some of your close friends in the business or, you know, guys that you talk to uh, and, and vent? Well, and I appreciate that. Your, I mean, uh, uh, you know, still stay very close to Larry Brown, Coach Brown, you know, North Carolina, Kansas, NBA. Um, I have a young man named Dante Calabria who played North Carolina on my staff now. And Coach Brown called me and recommended him. And that was pretty much the end of the interviews. Um, he's one, but you know, I really, now I've got a lot of my former assistants and players that are out in the coaching business and, and I really talk to them a lot. Um, I've got, uh, Mike Grotto, who's at Arkansas state the head coach who coached for me, uh, Bill Morosco, who's in independence community college out in Kansas, uh, is, is a guy that I talk to a lot. So pretty much now I've I migrated into the guys that, uh, you know, that, 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 that I either have played or coached for me, they're in the coaching business. Now, Barry hires you to be their head coach in April of 2013. Yeah. I, I, I'm not going to say to replace their all-time winning Correct. coach, but to, uh, you know, succeed him. Well, Coach Odio was, was a truly a legend in the South Florida area out. and a friend of mine, a close friend of mine. And uh, so it was an honor. And he was able, uh, the reason he stepped down and certainly public knowledge, he had, he had got, gotten cancer. And, um, and he beaten it once and it came back. And the second time it came back, it took a little bit more toll on him. So he just couldn't continue coaching. That's when they made the change. But he stayed on as athletic director for the next three years and assistant athletic director. And was very helpful and very, we had a great relationship. We worked so closely together in the transition and, um, you, you know, and then unfortunately he passed away after about his third year, my third year down there. But 
Um, you know, Coach had built a really solid competitive program. It wasn't a national program. And that's where we were able to come in. And, and I had an assistant, uh, Justin Furr, who's now at Florida Gulf Coast, uh, who did just one of the best recruiting jobs that I've ever had an assistant do. And we went, we, the first year we went from last to fourth, the second year we were second, the third, fourth, and fifth year we won the league. And uh, we went to lead eight twice. We were, we, every year we've been at, at Bear, we've been in the top 20 in division two. And of course, one of our milestones was beating Auburn a couple of years ago at Auburn when they won the SEC championship. And um, so we were, we were very talented and um, you know, it's, it's been a, it's been a, a, a great, a great support. You know, I go back to my days at Furman. I'm a, I'm at a quote division two job now, but I have as many resources here as I did when I was at Furman. And uh, I've got a full-time strength conditioning guy. I've got all the sports information people. I've got a full-time strat, a full-time trainer that's with us all the time. Um, you know, got assistants. Uh, so you know, we got video people. We got our own network. I mean, we just got all the resources that you'd ever want. Good budget. Uh, we're able to travel and fly places and play good people, and it's just been a, a lot of fun. And we. We've done a lot with Division One transfers. That's been part of the success, but we've also had a lot of success with high school kids too. So we, we and the junior college occasionally. So um, we, we, we've it's been a it's been a lot of a lot of work, but uh, a labor of love. You know, listeners can see all your accolades online. We'd be here for about five hours if we were reading them all off. But w- what are some of your achievements? Well, I mean, one of the recent on ones was being elected there. to the Hall of Fame back over at High Point Central, my old high school. Um, you know, it's a school that's been there forever and uh, forever. I mean, it was old when I went to school 40 years ago or 45 years ago. So uh, being able to be selected in their Athletic Hall of Fame was a very special moment. Um, I, I think the thing that I treasure the most is not the awards and and the championships, but the relationships that I have with my former coaches and, and my players. Um, again, you know, I go back to when I went out of TV, and one of the things that I missed was the camaraderie of the coaches and of the players, as well as the competition. And so now that you're beginning to look back more than looking forward, you, you know, I think that's that's the thing that means the most to me. And to see so many of these guys go on and get married and have kids and be successful and uh, do whatever they do, many in the coaching profession. I probably have 19 to 30 guys that either played or coached for me that are still actively coached or in athletic administration, and several of which we've mentioned here today. Um, those are those are the highlights. You're the only coach in school history to take the team to five straight NCAA tournament appearances. You've won an incredible 11 Coach of the Year awards in your career, collecting one at at least every stop that you've been at in your well-traveled coaching journey. (laughs) Well, it's pretty neat. I mean, I'm glad. Glad. um, You know, we've had the success we've had, and and um, but I'm also thankful for just you know I don't know I I really don't have words to describe it other than to say thank you and and. and it's just something that, you know, you, you get along the way. But, again, it's not necessarily the wins and losses as much as it is, I hope, the lives that we've been able to change and help um, get them, you know, jump-started into a wonderful life of their own. So that's 
that's I've always said that in every decision I've ever tried to make, the first thing I consider is how does this affect the players? I just think if you put players first and you don't put your own agenda first, you're going to, you have a potential to have a long successful career. And, um, but the people I've met along the way and some of the fun times and the laughs and the tears and the, the good times and the bad times, it's just all together. It's just wonderful. You know, when the COVID pandemic hit, you guys had already finished your season. Wow. Well, I remember when it hit home, I was on a recruiting trip, actually in the Carolinas, driving back to Florida, listening to the Clemson Florida state game and ACC tournament on Friday at noon. And uh, they called it off and, and they said, because of this COVID thing. And I, I thought, what the heck, you know, okay, whatever. And I had no idea what we're getting into. Of course, this was March and uh, wow. And then the next thing I know, our camps are canceled uh, for the summer. Um, And then we come back to school and we got all these restrictions and, you know, we can't, we had to work with masks and we had to practice in pods and um, we couldn't go full court. We couldn't have contact. We couldn't share a ball. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, no matter how experienced you are, these are, these are new challenges. But one of the things that I've always prided myself on is adaptability, the ability to change and and, you know, you have to roll with the times. So we don't coach today like we did 30 years ago. You have to relate to the players of today and the people of today. And um, you have to make changes and you have to be flexible. And that's certainly now with COVID-19 is without question the greatest challenge in our industry that there's ever been. It's there's no prerequisite to this. And um, and I admire and, and feel admire people that are trying to work their way through it and help us through it, but also have unbelievable respect for the players that aren't able to play, who make all the sacrifices and they're told like us that you can't play till February 15th. There's a deep hurt um, that exists, a true hurt, uh, more for the players than us as coaches, because I think we have longer careers and, you know, when you're a player, you have a four-year career in college. When you're a coach, you have whatever years you can have, but for them, I, I hurt. And, um, and I'm, I'm hoping every day that things get better and we'll do our part to contribute and uh, see where we can go with it. But it is an adjustment in playing and a real adjustment in coaching. Coach, with you guys starting on the 15th, what's <laughs> well, Valentine's listen, Day? Listen, I'm on a vacation like right now that I never thought I would have. I hope I'm coaching and not Valentining. I, um, it's funny. My wife's birthday is on December the 19th, um, and mine's on January 6th. We have been married 21 years, and we have never spent a birthday together, uh, neither hers nor mine. Now, this will be the first year that we're in our house in Charleston right now uh, getting ready for Christmas, and we're going to be able to spend her birthday this weekend together and my birthday January 6th because I'm not due back till January 11th because of the pandemic. So for that, I'm grateful, but I'd much rather be coaching. I love my wife dearly. We love Christmas. Now, we've always had Christmas together, but you know the life of a coach. It's usually up to about the 20th, 21st, 22nd, 23rd, 24th for some people. You get a day or two or three off for Christmas, and you're back at it. And for the first time in – 50 years, I have a month and I don't even know what to do. I'm glad I'm talking to you. I'm glad we're doing this because there's not much you can do right now. 
<laughs> that makes two of us, Coach. You know, I, I asked this question, uh, probably asked a couple coaches, but did you have any thoughts of stepping down prior to the season due to, you know, COVID, you know, being at an age that's considered No, I never had a thought. Or never the had fire a thought. Inside you and actually uh, contracted COVID early um, back in May. And uh, just because I, it's funny, I, I didn't, I felt like I was coming down with the flu. And I read an article about the commissioner of the Pac-12. And he had, he had tested positive for COVID. And he said in the article, he said, well, I, I just felt like I was getting the flu. So I just went to get tested and he tested positive. Well, I thought, you know what, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do that. And, and that makes sense. So I did. And I tested positive. And uh, so I went into quarantine and did all the things I was supposed to do. I was asymptomatic and was able to get over it. Um, that also pushed me to, speed up my annual physical and I really wanted to get into the heart part of it because you know COVID supposedly has potential to hurt the heart so anyway I'm glad to report I got through my complete physical and now I'm totally immune my my doctor my general doctor uh, she told me the other day she said if they give out vaccine I want you to be the last person in line because you your immune numbers are huge so knock on wood, I guess I'm glad I got it. I'm glad I didn't get real sick and I'm now immune to it. But we get tested, you know, uh, anywhere from one to three times a week. So um, we're, we're pretty safe where we are. <laughs> if, we, if somebody has it, we know we're pretty good. Yeah. That's great, Coach. You know, what do you want your legacy to be? And I hope people say good person. What word would you want your picture? Uh, a person cared about people and um, just a good guy, I guess. <laughs> that's probably it. Uh, winning coach is nice, but that's not really what life's about. I think just doing something positive here while you're here and, and being a good person and doing things the right way. And I am very proud of all the winning and all the things we've done, but – you know, we've done it, but I think it's the right way in terms of we stayed in the rules, we stayed within the budgets, and we've graduated the players. And I think those things in, in our world are very important. Coach, we've come to the segment I call start, bench, cut. I right, start one, I bench one, and I cut start one. one. All right, here we go. Cut one. This Oh, Nike, oh, Adidas, so I put all three of those into different categories. Okay, so give me Nike, Adidas. Yes. Ooh. Well, I'm going to start Nike because we have a contract with them, and they've been good to us. Um, boy, I don't know. Um, I don't know. It's tough because I, I could – Neither Adidas or Under Armour are, are starters, but neither one of them deserve to get cut. But I guess you have to do numbers. Uh, the reason I say I like what Adidas has done for basketball, but I like some of the Under Armour stuff, so I'd probably cut Adidas and keep Under Armour on the bench. Uh-oh. Okay. okay, I like it. This might be your toughest one, Coach. Oh, um, I would start Michael Jordan. I would bench Phil Ford, but he'd be the first guy on the bench right beside me. And Tyler would have to go back down to the JV team. Okay. 
<laughs> I, I, hey, I, I like I'm, it. I'm waiting on him. I know he's going to be a star, but I'm not going to cut him. I'm just going to put him on the JV team. <laughs> uh, Hoosiers, oh, Glory Road. Uh, I'd probably Coach put – well, I was kind of involved in Glory Road um, and indirectly – uh, in the Miami scene because of Pat Riley and being involved in all that and, and, and uh, having played and coached in Kentucky and know all that stuff. And you know, a lot of people in El Paso. But anyway, um, I'd probably put, for me personally, Glory Road would be the starter, but I understand Hoosiers would be, again, the first guy on the bench. That's probably more well-known to more people. And then the last one would be Coach Carter. That he does get that. Okay. Okay. Chick-fil-A. Um, for me, Chick-fil-A is a starter. Uh, Bojangles is bench, and and, uh, and Biscuitville would be cut. But if my mom were still alive, she would have my head because I had to go to Biscuitville every day and get her a biscuit. So she would not be happy with my decision, but I would put them third in my world. <laughs> Last one, Coach. Um, hoop dirt, verbal Ooh. commits. And All right, hoop dirt. Portal. What was the second one? Well, I love hoop dirt because I'm a gossip person. I like to know what's going on in the coaching world. So that probably be my starter for me personally. Verbal commits is huge. Um, and what was the last one? Oh, yeah, I'd cut the transfer portal. Uh, the transfer portal. Uh, but so I keep verbal commits on the bench and cut transfer portal. But well, that's a whole nother talk. We can have an hour talk about the transfer portal. That, that's a whole nother story. But we've been the beneficiary of it. We've not had anybody opt out in that direction. And um, we've certainly picked up a lot of our team at Barry off the transfer portal. But I'm just, I'm sad to see that, you know, the rule that just passed about Division One can now transfer to Division One one time and not have to sit out that's going to affect us because a lot of guys that were very talented would come down so they could play right away. If you know the rule in the past, if you transfer down, you could play immediately. And now they're going to be able to transfer within division one and play immediately. So that's going to affect us and our recruiting approach. Oh boy. Coach, who are three guests? Uh, Probably have me back again. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Wow, who would be great for you to have? Um, <laughs> well, I'll tell you a guy who's who's one of my former assistants who was highly successful. He's at Florida Gulf Coast now, and I say this because he's been Division One assistant, Division Two assistant, and back to Division One assistant. He's never been a head coach, but it'd be a very interesting conversation to talk to him about, uh, you know, the life of an assistant coach in college, uh, married with children, and some of the sacrifices that the family has to make. Uh, would be Justin Fur who's the assistant at Florida Gulf Coast University. I think he would be really interesting. Um, wow, there, man. I'm trying to think. Who would be an interesting character? Um, you think in Division One, Division Two? Whoever has kind of a unique Well, I think other another interesting guy would from. be a guy that I coach against right now, Steve Ritter. Steve is at Embry-Riddle, 
and they've gone from NAI to Division Two. Steve has been offered Division One jobs multiple times, uh, and has never left Embry Riddle. He's been there thirty years, very successful, and and an interesting interview, if I could say. He he would be a, a one a guy that you know associated with. Now I'm trying to think, going back. Um, you know, maybe another interesting one uh, who had just an unbelievable career and fell victim to an administration change would be Tony Shaver, who was at William Mary and was let go by William and Mary and is presently, to my yeah. knowledge, I had talked to Tony about six months, but, you know, still not working. Now. He's getting a nice, you know, payout so he doesn't have to work. But um, to see his perspective, having been let go at William and Mary, only because of a, that was, decisions I've ever seen made the history of the game. But anyway, he is a high point guy. We, we more or less grew up together. I'm a little he's just a, a year or two or three older than Tony, but we well. did. We went to St. Church together. So, yeah, yeah, we grew up high school. His dad was an administrator in the high point school system. And, uh, yeah, Tony, uh, his brother Brent, good people. Butch, what advice would you give – I usually say young coaches to break in, but coaches to stay in it as long as you've been fortunate to, to you know – Yeah, I think, number one, you can't get caught up in all the recruiting you know, BS. Become a lifer. You know, so many people think, well, if, and it's true. I mean, if you get good players, if you can produce good players, you can you can get a job. But can you keep a job? You know, are you hired just because you you brought a kid to a program? Uh, or you you hired because you can bring you know good people to the program and you can coach. So I think the, the you've got to be able to do a little bit of everything. You got to be good at it all. You got to be able to understand. You got to know the game. You got to be able to teach the game. You got to be able to recruit. You got to be able to communicate. Um, and I do enjoy helping young people get into this business. And I have a couple of people on my staff right now. I have a student assistant who I'm so committed. You know, but he's going to have to do some things. He may have to change his appearance in terms of his haircut. He may have to dress a little different. He may have to present himself a little different. But boy, is he dedicated. Is he, is he, you know, is he on it? You know, is he organized? Yes, all those things. So it varies from individual to individual. But, but I just think a lot of times young people get caught up in the recruiting mess and then they try to do whatever they can to get a player so they can go get a job. And, 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 and working camps and, and being part of clinics and being around and getting involved. And then when you get that opportunity, you got to be, you got to like my young student assistant right now, he's the hardest working guy on my staff and he's got my attention because of his dedication is, you know, he comes in the office early, stays late. He's always there to help. Um, and you see the commitment. So you want to help that guy. I've had others that come in that won't leave as soon as I leave, you know, they can't wait to get out and pick up the girl or go, to South Beach, you know, and that's all good, but I want people who are, are dedicated, who are going to put the time in. Like I said, way back when we first started this conversation, you know, I learned from Coach Schuler the, the amount of time you have to put in. And everybody wants to wear the shirt, everybody wants to wear the title, but not everybody wants is willing or able to put in the time. I've had young assistants, honestly, and this is very transparent, that they're because of their wives, they can't survive. Their wife demand too much of them at home, and they can't they can't do it. And I understand that. I respect that. I don't have a problem with it, but that's it's it can hold you back if you're if you're better 
if your better half doesn't understand what you're involved in. Your ability. Yep. And yep. they always say your availability yep. is, you know, one of your best abilities. Coach, if listeners um, want to get in touch with I'd probably just media, give them my personal email. Happened. That's fine. I don't think the school email is the best place to do it. You've got that. So you're certainly welcome. It's estesg45 at gmail.com. It's like my last name, estesg45 at gmail.com. And I'd be glad to, you know, anybody, anybody ever wants to come to any of our practices, we welcome that. They have to wear a mask and stay socially distanced, but we welcome to our practice. And, uh, um, you know, I do think we do run good practices. I think anybody, especially if you live in South Florida, you, you, we've had a lot of, we've had a lot of coaches come by and we've had even coaches bring their teams, which I think is really good, uh, to let these high school kids see what a college practice is like, you know, shirt tails are in, we're sprinting between drills. There's a lot of enthusiasm. There's no wasted time. There's no BS whistle blows. Everything stops, you know, those types of practices that, that generally you don't see in high schools. Um, and even in junior colleges for that matter. So, uh, you know, it just uh, always welcome, always welcome. Coach Estes, I can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast. You know, just the people I've talked to who have recommended you and obviously the research I've done, I can tell you're not only a tremendous coach, but a tremendous man. And, and uh, you know, I've well, David, I really enjoyed it. I wish you, you the best your in your career. And, uh, uh, to allow me to uh, you, you, you're going to be one of those guys. You're going to have to decide between being a, a star on the radio, television, or in social media, or being a coach. You may have to go make one of those decisions one day. But you're good at both of them. But thank you very much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Beyond the Box Score podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, leave reviews, and rate five stars.